0: everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, last episode, we reviewed X-Men number 47 with the wonderful Philip Kennedy Johnson. Uh, We had guests Seth Martell and Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. Uh, Basically, what you need to know, and you don't need to know much, Professor X is dead. The FBI has disbanded the X-Men. Beast and Iceman had dates with their girlfriends, Vera Cantor and Zelda Kurtzberg at the coffee a And it's the last time we see them in the 60s and books. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's
1: Zelda's final appearance ever.
0: Except for in X Men the Hidden Years. Uh, so well right, okay, fair. Yes. <laughs> no, it's yeah.
1: true. She does get a she does get a, a bit in the Hidden Years.
0: We are going to miss them. Uh, so they fought the Maha Yogi. And then at the end of the next issue, X-Men 48, there's a little text blurb at the very end that says, Next issue, Beast and Iceman will return to fight Metaxo the Lava Man, which is a story that never happened because we had a different story instead. But in 1994, which was 26 years later, uh, Kurt Busiek, who is a huge Marvel continuity uh, nerd, and I love him for it, I told this story about Beast and Iceman fighting of the Lava Man in a Marvel holiday special number 1994 in a ridiculous holiday story which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is a story that was uh, written by Kurt Busiek, with art by James Fry, inks by Neil Volks, and uh, colors by Steve Matson and letters by Starking and Comicraft. So this issue is called Catastrophe on 34th Street. Uh, it's ridiculous and fun, and we'll have a good time talking about it today. Uh, I am honored to have uh, returning guests, uh, Connor, Sm- Connor Goldsmith and, uh, and uh, Sarah Century back with us. Hi, Connor. Hi, Sarah. How are you both?
1: Hi. Hi, Chad. Doing well. Nice to be here. Happy Pride. It's the first of the month as we're recording this.
0: Yeah, we're getting ready to celebrate Pride here in Salt Lake City uh, this weekend. Are you going to Lisa Barlow's event? you know we considered it i'm not a big go out multiple nights in a row kind of guy but uh the next night at the same bar which uh milk because
1: i would have loved that <laughs> i would love to see lisa barlow uh, no Plus but also whitney, and... whitney rose is also yeah, yeah. doing an
0: event so so we're too. we're going on yeah, friday yeah, night right? to the whitney rose Got mick uh show which will be a lot yeah i feel like whitney night. and
1: lisa have like dueling pride slc nights going on <laughs> by the way my allergies are Atrocious right now, so the sniffling you are going to hear listeners is me going oh God, but it's it's allergies, I swear to God I'm just i uh, it's I'm back in New York for a couple days, and I the humidity and the pollen it all hit me like at the same time I wasn't expecting
0: it and Sarah, how are you?
2: oh, I'm so good. <laughs> Um, I, there's a bunch of rabbits in my house right now. One of my rabbits had baby rabbits, and so I'm surrounded by small rabbits, and it's pretty cute.
0: That sounds cute. uh, We just watched Zootopia with the kids, where they're leaving the little rabbit town, and the population thing is going, like, it multiplying.
2: (laughs) That's my house, yeah. Uh,
0: And we are thrilled today to be joined by the Marvel editor, uh, Annalise Bisa. Annalise, how are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're
0: here. I uh, I have been an admirer of your work and I have heard such positive and incredible things about you and I've heard you on other podcasts. Uh, I, it's such an honor to have you here with us today.
3: It's Like I said, it's nice to be here and it's always good to be back talking about the X-Men, which I don't get to do as much these days as I would like.
1: We do miss you at X. I say we like as though I'm in the room, but I mean like we collectively, the people, Of Krakoa, I miss you. people of Krakoa. (laughs)
3: I'm a Krakowan expat. Yeah, Uh,
0: we we get to talk X-Men even in the most ridiculous places, which we'll get to eventually today. But uh, uh, as we're having everybody briefly introduce themselves, although I did just introduce you all, let us know your gender pronouns, where people may know you from, and then a very just silly question to open that ties in today's issue. Do you have a favorite ridiculous holiday cartoon from your childhood that you loved? Uh, Let's go in the order of uh, Connor and Sarah and Annalise.
1: Sure. Um, my name's Connor Goldsmith. Uh, I use he, him pronouns, but like, if you know me like that, she, her is fine. Um, you get what I mean. <laughs> <The> girl, <hey. laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like, I'm I'm flexible on that stuff in like, in my queer community. Um, but uh, I am the host of the podcast Cerebro, which uh, is now in its third season. We just launched season three. A uh, couple weeks ago with a Mr. Sinister episode featuring Kieran Gillen. I just had, I just this week put up the episode with Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando on John Proudstar, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Nyla was my first ever guest to have her own action figure. So that was quite <laughs> a-, a milestone for the podcast. Um, season three is going to be super fun. Uh, coming up, our are- steph williams the dc comics writer of newbie and the amazon is coming back to talk about cecilia reyes then al ewing is going to come talk about abigail brand and then i just announced today uh wolf spain with rebecca galt spiral with jordan blanc pyro with anthony Oliveira, and magma with Alexa abad santos and those are all going to be super fun sarah has been on my show four times, plus a uh, the, the episodes on Jean Grey, Rachel Summers, Xiang kui Min, and Candy Southern. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bonus episode on Vicky Montesi, Marvel's first lesbian character, which by the time you're hearing this, will have been released publicly a year later as our pride bonus. Uh, I wanted to do a little treat for people. And also, I love that character and would love to see her back. Uh, Sarah and I sort of vaguely lay out our plans for the Dark Hole pages from the Book of Sin's revival that we want to write, uh, yeah. but not not in too much detail because we'd actually like to pitch it. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cerebro is a character-by-character character podcast. Every episode has a guest and highlights one character and traces their whole publication history. Annalise was kind enough to come on the show to talk about Doug Ramsey, and I will have her back at some point. Mm-hmm. We've talked, but... Uh, and you know what? Someday, you never know, Chad Anderson of Grey Malkin Lane might pop up, but my scheduling for that show is uh, So is the best way that I could put it. So <laughs> people don't really know that they're going to be on the show until like a month in advance. But anyway, that's me. Uh, and uh, I'm also a literary agent. You can see my clients at connorgolsmith.com For comics people, my most notable clients are probably T.D. Howard and Steve Orlando. We're both in the X-Men office right now. Uh, and I think that's it.
0: Sarah? Uh, do, you have a, do you have a favorite uh, <laughs> holiday show from childhood? That you
1: oh, asked? I forgot the prompt. God, I went on for like two minutes and forgot <laughs> the entire prompt. Um, so this was actually hard. I thought about it. I remember really liking Frosty the Snowman, like the cartoon, but I haven't watched it since I was a kid. So I don't, I, I can't speak to its like quality now. If, you know, if it, my cartoon intake was often like X-Men related. Like I wore out I all of my-
0: Frosty holds the up. An 80s, Frosty's hold up holds up as an '80s cartoon. I've watched that with my kids, and our biggest nitpick uh, is Karen, the little girl in that show, is running around in the snow for the whole episode in a little mini skirt with bare legs. And I'm like, "What is your problem? Put some pants on." Well, here's
1: so here's the thing. I'm glad you reminded me of her name because my biggest memory of that cartoon is that when I was like three or four, I drew Karen, that girl from that cartoon on the wall with a pen and my parents were not thrilled because it was on wallpaper like that they then had to replace because this was back in the day when people had wallpaper. So um, yeah, that's my Frosty the Snowman tale.
0: Uh, Sarah, would you like to go next?
2: Yeah, so I'm Sarah Century. People probably know me from the Bitches on Comics podcast. I do a ton of writing for a bunch of different websites, so you might know me from that. And then also we're in the middle, it's Pride, baby. So we're in the middle of Decoded Pride right now, which is the speculative fiction anthology that I do. So that's going, get subscriptions to that, listen to Bitches on Comics and anything else I just mentioned. Oh yeah, many websites, check many websites for me. And I'm going to say that the all of the Christmas, all of those, like, the superhero Christmas specials, I love all of them to this day. I love them all while they were coming out. I have always loved them. I'm not, I don't celebrate Christmas. I've never been, like, a Christmas person at all. Um, I like to hang out by myself and watch holiday cartoons, which is really fun for me. But people like Batman, I love Have Yourself a Morlock Little Christmas, which is the yes. x special. I'm obsessed with it. It's so classist. (laughs) Like Wolverine is the worst. The X-Men don't. They're like, whenever the Morlocks are like, oh, so like, can we come hang out with you for Christmas? The X-Men are like, let's eat here, like in the sewers, and then we'll go back. But you can stay here. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I love that whole episode. There's an episode of Bitches on Comics where we cover the whole thing. So I think the X-Men do Christmas right. And they're all ones that have always stood out to me.
0: That Morlock episode is uh, strangely akin to the story we're gonna cover today with Matoxo the Lava Man.
2: (laughs) It is kind of. It also
1: features cameo queen Tommy the Morlock, a star (laughs) of Cerebro, even though she has only well, she's now appeared a couple times on Krakoa actually because she's back. But uh, back in the day, had only appeared once. But my like little eleven year old brain reading Uncanny X Men two ten. Was obsessed with her and then she was on the cartoon a bunch
0: she's great and then annalise let's
1: have you well know. the visual is incredible you know oh yeah yeah
3: um my name is annalise bista i am uh pronounce she her and um i guess you might know me from working at marvel on x-men comics um uh, that's <laughs> that's about it um my, my <laughs> star turn on cerebro cypher episode i guess um No, uh, that's, that's about it. And then, well, I guess specifically uh, I came over as Jordan White's assistant editor on X-Men, basically starting with the uh, relaunch with House of X powers of 10 and worked on X-Men comics for a couple of years um, before moving away from them in the last year. But so I've worked on a lot of different X-Men comics in the last four years of my life. Um, And then in terms of holiday specials, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television as a child. So I don't have a lot of uh, deep childhood memories of uh, like cartoons or cartoon specials or anything, but uh, I do have a weird soft spot for the Charlie Brown Christmas, just like pure classic, intensely
2: religious,
3: but you know, a good time nonetheless.
2: And dancing.
3: Yes,
0: of course. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, classic stuff. Uh, and then my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am, I think I'm the oldest person here. I'm 43. I am an 80s you child. You are the oldest person here. Yeah. When I was growing up, we did not have the internet and had to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings. And every... Sarah and I definitely
1: did that, too. Annalise (laughs) might have had Cartoon Network. She's a little bit younger than me. uh.
0: Every year, I feel like every cartoon had a holiday special. Not always or not consistently, but some of them are extraordinarily obscure. Uh, I was a He-Man kid and a She-Ra kid more than anything else. And uh, I love showing my children old stuff from my childhood. And we watched the *He-Man and the Masters of the Universe* like holiday special last year. And good lord, it's terrible. I love uh, it. uh,
2: But I, I loved, love it. It. if I had to
0: if I had to choose a favorite, it is the uh, *Alvin and the Chipmunks* uh, mm. Christmas, which is uh, which is fantastic. Well, I just uh, I just realized I've got a Captain Caveman tank top <laughs> on for for those that uh, are in the know <laughs> for Captain <laughs> Captain uh, Caveman and the Teen Angels. Amen. <laughs> um, so as we're launching into today, let's uh, let's spend a little time uh, talking to uh, uh, Annalise, and this was just kind of conversation based. We are recording this episode on June first. It'll come out June thirtieth. So a lot of comics will come out in between now and the time we uh, we publish this episode. Uh, and frankly, a lot of episodes of both uh, Connor and Sarah and I's podcasts will come out as well. Uh, but it's uh, we're always recording in advance. Uh, Annalise, we uh, we've heard you talk a lot about uh, on other podcasts, at least your journey into the X Men as a fan and as an editor. I would love if you would uh, be willing to briefly recap uh, kind of your X Men journey with us here, and then can you tell us a little bit about your journey out of the X office and uh, and what you're working on currently?
3: Sure, I can do a, a brief version. Um, I started reading X Men comics because my dad was an X Men fan, a very common story, uh, and he you know threw giant size at me one day and said, you know, read this. Um, and it was, you know, off to the races from there. Um, and then I just became a comics fan in general. And when I was in college looking for an internship, I was trying to find something that I liked that not everybody on the planet liked because I had, you know, about a half a skill as a rising sophomore. And uh, and I was like, well, I, you know, I can, I can write things, but so can everybody else. And everybody else also likes the things I like, like, you know, music. And, you know, interesting things happening in pop culture. Like everybody likes these things and I'm never going to get any internship doing that because there are (laughs) 400,000 other rising sophomores, juniors, and seniors who want to do that. Um, And I thought, well, I like comic books and not everybody likes those. Um, And so I, you know, applied on the Marvel website. Just, it was, it's so funny because now it's like, I help uh, co-coordinate our editorial intern program and it's so standardized because now Marvel and Disney kind of are more in lockstep. And so it's the whole like Disney careers portal. And it's a whole thing back then it was like a HTML text box on the Marvel website and (laughs) all the different like descriptions of the internships had like funny little blurbs about what an editorial intern does. And, you know, if you like your beast gray or blue or whatever, um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to be among my people if I get this. Um, and then I, you know, ended up just getting kind of called out of nowhere, completely bailing on a different internship midway to go over to Marvel, which is not my finest, most professional moment, but I think has worked out. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> and then just basically not letting Marvel get rid of me and sticking around for majority of my college career before, um, graduating, doing a little bit of other stuff, and then finding my way back as an assistant editor. Um, So I worked with Jordan White from the start of my time at Marvel on other things. So that was back when he was editing. Um, A lot of what he was editing was Star Wars, but he was also working on some cosmic stuff like Guardians, Thanos, as well as finishing up the Deadpool run that he edited that Jerry Duggan wrote for a billion years. Um, and then there were other things. We were working on Daredevil back then. Like, looking back at it now, I'm like, if that's just a, a pile of things. I don't really, like, I, you know, there was no real connective tissue between what I was working on. But um, I did that for a bit. And then, you know, basically one day, he's like, Annalise, remind me, how do you feel about the X-Men? I was like, <laughs> well you mean the, you know, enduring interest of my childhood and the main reason I like comic books? I I would say I like them. And he was like, so you would be like, okay, if we were working on them? it's like, yeah, you know, and I think, you know, um, not to say necessarily you have too much say at Marvel, but I think if I'd said, I hate the X-Men, I've never been able to stand them, you know, there might have been some conversations, but he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but we're going to become the X-Men office. And also there's this whole thing going on with this guy named Jonathan Hickman that I need to clue you in on.
0: Uh, If I could pause you briefly. When I I was younger, my sister was working for a very conservative religious company. And at the holiday party, they announced that she won a cruise. And she ran up on stage and they put the microphone in her mouth and they said, how do you feel? Are you excited? And she goes, shit, yeah, into the microphone. (laughs) And he jerked the microphone away. Whenever I get asked a question where I have a very enthusiastic response, that's the story that comes into my mind. Like, Annalise, do you want to work on the X-Men? Shit, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think it was only because I'd like been working for Jordan for about six months and like was still in that kind of new employee phase where I was like trying to make a very good impression and writing all my uh emails with like intense headers and salutations and everything.
1: Sincerely, your assistant, Annalise exactly. Bissau, right?
3: Like, um, yes, I think that would be fine if I worked on the (laughs) X-Men.
1: I have to imagine it's hard to work with Jordan and, like, keep your professional cool just because he's such a sweetie that I would always want to be, like, just, like, giggling with Jordan. (laughs) So I would I would find that internship difficult.
3: Jordan is a really funny person to have as your boss because he has so little interest in, like, really being your boss, right? Like, there's zero streak in him that, like, wants to, like... You know, he, he's not trying to come down on you right. for any, anything you've done wrong. Like he is, like just such a friendly person and r- such like a you know dedicated person to like the stories and everything and like all the people that he works with. Like I think, like legitimately, are like his friends. I mean, obviously, there's a professional piece to all of for it. Sure, but
1: yeah, but he's, he's not like, patient. oh, I'm
3: going to keep everybody at arm's length or anything, mm-hmm. and. Uh, just a great, great person to work for.
0: What year did you start at, at Marvel, Annalise? Uh October
3: 2017.
0: Okay. And then uh you worked in the X office for uh for how long?
3: Until June 2021. So just about a year ago, I moved over into Tom Brevor's
0: She's office. She's with Brevo now at Avengers. So you uh you have Uh, probably one of the roughest patches in comics history as you look at the pandemic and how it affected the industry and just what everybody was going through. That must have been a rough time uh, as as you kind of dealt with all of the craziness of that time. What was that like?
3: Oh, man, it was wild. Uh, It it started off really, really well with um, Jordan. So Marvel did a weird thing where, like, that sort of big last week in mid-March, uh, Marvel was like, okay, we're going to practice working from home because pretty much nobody ever worked from home prior to uh, COVID. And so they were like, we're going to have half of you try out working from home on Thursday and the other half on Friday, just to like troubleshoot, make sure that like the whole world doesn't fall apart. And so I worked from home on on Thursday and it it went fine. Um, And Jordan was still in the office. And then I show up on Friday morning, which I believe was March 13th. And it's, it's pretty quiet, but I showed up early and it stays quiet. And like the lights out in the main area of the office keep turning off because there's nobody there. And it gets to about, you know, eight fifty five, And I'm like, how am I the, I mean, I guess only half of the office is supposed to be here, but really no one is here. And I'm this is, sitting there this and is I'm right, sitting right around like,
0: the time where they're like the NBA and Disneyland are closed. And we're like, Holy fuck, this pandemic is real.
3: <laughs> right. Um, And I ended up like messaging Jordan. I was like, hey, Jordan, no one's here. And he was like, oh, I was supposed (laughs) to tell you or like basically I think I I don't know that it was he was supposed to tell me, but like somebody was supposed to tell him and the message got mixed up that nobody was supposed to come in ever again. We were all supposed to be at home. And I was the only person. Essentially, like a couple people ended up trickling in here and there who like needed to get things, but of the like couple hundred people who were supposed to be in this floor of this office building with me, I was just sitting there alone, thinking like, "Well, this is how I get the coronavirus, I guess." Like, how unusual!
0: <laughs> I uh, I have that a... was a day before. Oh. oh, go ahead, Connor.
1: Sorry. I was just thinking that was a day before my birthday, and the me last too. We thing have the I... same birthday. Oh, that's right, Annalise and <laughs> I have the same birthday. March 14th, Pi Day Angels, Pisces, Queens, the bo- the both of us. But um, no, but so that, that that's so funny. I forgot about that completely. But now I will always remember. I actually, I did wish you a happy our birthday this year. I remember. <laughs> I'm bad at remembering things like that. But I do remember when it's my own birthday, because that is that is not that hard to remember. But anyway, um, so uh, but my birthday drinks that I did with some friends was like the last thing I did before the shutdown, and it was that day, the 13th, like right. <laughs> and so it was all like, here we are. It's probably a, going to be fine, right? And then the next day it was like, oh, it's not fine. Not actually. fine. <laughs> not yeah, fine. I, have a, I
0: have a therapy practice. It's what I do professionally. And there was a day where I was in my office and then a day where I turned in my keys. And it was right around that same time. Like, I'm working from home now. We're on Zoom from now on. Uh, it's been a different world ever since. Annalise, where are you now? Uh, uh, tell us about the, the the move from one office to another.
3: Sure. And just so I can actually answer your initial question. Working uh, Marvel is still working remotely, and so making comics has been a super weird roller coaster during the pandemic in general. Um, but I will say to you know go specifically to the X Men of it all. I was looking the other day at the um, paperback, of the trade of uh, Ten of Swords, and just how we were making that at the beginning of the pandemic when it still was like, okay, is it going to be like another month, you know, back when there was no vaccine, there was like, like, I felt like very little hope and everybody was just really, truly like at home. Um, That like 10 of swords truly, I think, kept approximately, you know, 20 of us sane between writers and editors and artists. Um, So that's like my primary memory of like comic making during the pandemic. Um, Though we're still, you know, getting some pandemic uh waves in terms of things like you know paper shortages are still hitting us yeah. pretty hard so um still pretty wild um and then to answer your other question um <laughs> sorry i just i don't want to like miss anything no no you're like great I, think, I ask a lot at uh, once i apologize <laughs> 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 um i mean so essentially people were just moving around in terms of They knew they were hiring more assistant editors and um, I think they just were kind of readjusting the overall org chart of what editorial looks like because editorial is around, it generally hovers around 20 people um, in a series of different configurations. And for whatever reason, some meeting I was not a part of, um, you know, it, it was decided that the right move for me would be to go over and work with Tom. Um, and, you know, it was definitely like sort of a bolt out of the blue a little bit. I had been working on X for such a big chunk of my career at Marvel. Um, and I felt very close with it, especially having started off um, like from the jump with Hoxpox and everything. But it's been really nice just doing something else and working with another office, especially working with Tom Brevoort, who is like truly living legend status. And like, maybe some of this is that I was primarily exposed to him in like meeting format where he would often sort of like explicitly or just sort of off the cuff be giving us lessons about like how to be an editor. Um, But sometimes it's like, like, it's just wild because he actually talks like he is teaching you how to be an editor. And like, you are like, you know, at the foot of a master, but just sort of naturally, because he for so long has been, you know, teaching generations, I mean, maybe not generations, but like hundreds of people how to do their job right. Yeah. It is amazing.
0: If I'm getting my years right, I worked as a Marvel comics handbook writer from 2005 to 2012, uh, and I've never met Tom Brevard, but I was under him and then under Jeff Youngquist, and then Ooh. under Jeff Christensen, and so like there was always this like chain of command, and there was a team of us, uh, and he was always just an absolute gem of a human. Jeff Youngquist as well, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have really fond uh, memories of the brief correspondences I had. Uh, what books are you currently working on?
3: Right now, I am on Avengers, obviously classic. Um, I'm on Fantastic Four, so Avengers and like all associated Avengers titles, um, including some of the digital books that we're doing right now on Marvel Unlimited, our Infinity Comics, which everybody should check out. Um, and I'm I'm looking at my folder of all of my books that I work on and trying not to say the things out loud that are not yet announced. Right. <laughs> um, so, and then I'm working on like the upcoming AXC Judgment Day event, which is going to be. Uh, kind of a monster it's like so like classically kieran gillen in scale um yeah fantastic four associated books like that iron man moon knight uh with jed and alessandro um punisher what else can i say i just-, uh, just wrapped up the the marvels with uh kurt music who we're gonna talk about a lot today um actually wrapped up issue 12 today so um and then i've got some of my own pieces here and there that I'm working on, um, including an upcoming uh, book about a new character named Bloodline, daughter of Blade, mm. which we, yeah. we met on a Free Comic Book Day mm-hmm. with uh, Danny Lore and Karen Darbo, which is going to be super fun.
0: So you're you're working for all these books that have uh, obviously dense history, and you have writers that bring up old continuity all the time. <laughs> Uh, Dan slots doing the Reckoning War and FF or Jed McKay just pulled in the Wax Man in, uh, in Moon Knight, right? These old characters. That must be a huge challenge as an editor to try to sort out old continuity with characters that have been around and likely are unfamiliar with. Is that a challenge in your job? How do you approach uh, old continuity and the way it influences modern books?
3: Sure thing. In complete honesty, where I am right now and with the books that I am... Like an associate editor on, it's really just like it is the Tom Brevoort show. He knows everything; it is all in his brain. Um, When I get scripts in for books that I'm editing myself, and things are referenced that I don't know, I mean, it it really is as simple as you know, googling it. Um, And then often one of the benefits is you know everybody has Google, but not everybody has the Marvel PDF library, which is super (laughs) helpful. and just, I think that was, it was one of the things that was nice about working on X-Men was that I had that level of like encyclopedic, you know, literally encyclopedic with the like, you know, X-Men DK book, that you know, broke down everybody's history. Um, and you have to, I think, lean into it a little bit more on characters that you don't know anything about. Um, you know, and there are certainly moments where you're like, oh, what a cool character you created about, you know, authors like, didn't create that character, you know, stole that character from the 70s and you know I'm glad you just didn't clock that at all. Um because unfortunately, you know, my brain is not big enough to you know contain the entire of the Marvel continuity. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's really a lot of googling, back reading, trying to stay on top of like I'm so I worked on an America Chavez book a little while back and she has a relatively short publication history but before i got into that book i was like i'm just going to read every appearance of this character because if i'm going to edit a solo book like that's just the level that you need to know because you you know especially when you they've only appeared a couple dozen times but you know when you get back into like what's the history of the wasp like you're not going to cover all of it so you need (laughs) to hit the highlights
0: That's why there's the handbooks.
3: (laughs) Right, exactly. You
1: have to read the essential Zaladanes, not every Zaladane that a character. Sorry, you said dozens of issues and I just felt the need to to plug my unit of measurement, the Zaladane, which is exactly 12
0: issues. Uh, Annalise, are you able to share with us uh, perhaps a storyline or a continuity error that almost slipped through the cracks, but you caught it in time?
3: Oh, man. I wish I could come up with something right off the bat. Um,
0: You're like, I'm so good at my job that there aren't any.
3: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Just more that, I mean, so part of the, the problem is the like quantity of books that we make. I was trying, you know, uh, rest in peace to the comic book database, because they used to have <laughs> like a list of every book I'd ever worked on. I was trying to find out how many comics I've made in my career the other day. And it was some insane number. I was like, hey, this is too many. Um, trying to think now um i so I'll, i'll give a a version of an answer to that um which is on the cover of one of the america chavez issues um she's being like blown back from an explosion and the actual cover is essentially like the inks of it are just the character on like a blank background um and i was like obsessed with the idea that this was supposed to be the utopian parallel which was like you know her home dimension exploding and so i went to uh i went to tamra Bonvillain, who was the colorist for those covers and i was like okay here's all of the appearances of the utopian parallel and everything we've ever seen from it and a lot of it is in an issue of young avengers where we see the flashback to her childhood and i was like can we use the exact colors from this scene in this cover, and like, I was like, somebody who is obsessed with America Chavez will clock that it's the same colors, and maybe if it's only me, I can live with it. But I was just like, I was so excited by the prospect of like using the same color palette, and that that would like solve everything. um So that's, I mean, that's an example of you know finding a way to get continuity in there that it was too subtle for anyone, um, including like anyone saying to ever find. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm really trying to find a thing that we messed up on, not because we didn't do it all the time, but just because I can't, I mean, like Moira was misspelled a hundred times in House of X. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. Uh,
0: As Moriah, I imagine.
3: Yes, Moriah. I think it was specifically in the uh, the timeline because the data pages, uh, especially at that point, the ones in House and Powers were generally built by Hickman himself, because he comes from a graphic design background. It wasn't yeah, like I- our bullpen. And so he would put those together. And so those would come together like closer to the wire than everything else. And whether or not we were like fully proofreading them to the extent that we were supposed to will remain, uh, <laughs> a mystery. But if you look at how many times Moira is misspelled in the first printings of those, it's a, it's a little egregious. Uh,
0: so this is a question for all three of you. Uh, and there was no advanced warning. So just whatever comes to mind, name an unresolved X-Men plotline that just bugs you. Uh, the one that comes to mind first for me is the uh, the black womb Alamogordo stuff that's been hinted for so long, and we've never gotten clear answers. Well, stay tuned on that
1: because Kieran cool. Gillen and I had a long conversation about that. Oh, fun. offline. <laughs> <That's exciting. laughs> it's one of my that's my that's my big dangler too. I mean, well, the obvious answer for me is. Zaladane and Lorna Dane and their whole deal. But that's, you know, that's become a, a running joke on my podcast. But in terms of like big picture stuff, it's the Black Womb project at Alan Magordo. And um, yeah, no, I talked to Kieran about Black
0: Womb for like two hours the other week. It was oh, that's great. I'm excited. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Anything come to mind?
2: Um, is Shatterstar resolved?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Benjamin Russell certainly isn't.
1: Like what the the hell was up with that?
2: And I think that it's really funny because every time I look back at it, I'm like, this is going to be the time it makes sense to me. And then you get through it and you're like, it wasn't it wasn't the time.
0: That one I've always just seen as games master just fucking with people.
2: <laughs> it has to be. I mean, it's like definitely, I don't need to worry about it too much, I guess. But I'm also uh I guess like a noise is probably the best word to use. Cause I'm just like, where did this come from? Where did it go?
0: Uh Ed, at least anything come to mind for you?
2: I so this is really revealing a
3: lack of the ability to think extemporaneously for me because the answer is no. Um, I think maybe part of it is that I read all of the like 60s to 80s X-Men a billion times and then really like dropped off a cliff right around the 90s. And so in my mind, I like I've, I've read a lot of it sort of in terms of back reading, especially in the last like half decade. But uh, some part of me always just assumes that all the things I didn't understand when I was you know, nine reading that stuff, was either because I was nine and I just didn't get what was going on or that somebody solved it in the nineties. And it probably all makes sense to, to everybody else. Um, yeah, I don't know, I, I, I can't come up with anything.
0: Well, and sometimes when writers answer those questions, the answers are so dissatisfying. The character Astra connections and her connections to Magneto come to mind there. Like, well, but like, oh. who
1: cares about that is the thing. Like, that was that was come up with to fix a dangler, and it wasn't interesting. Like, sometimes the answer is not worth having, is right. the, I mean, the Draco is the really famous example of that. It's like we're gonna sure. finally resolve Nightcrawler's parentage, and then it's resolved in like a way that. Literally, no one likes. Nobody so,
2: liked. <laughs> you know,
1: like the and still doesn't. Still, nobody likes that. So there was a whole. It. It was,
3: there was a whole um, like long shot, Shatterstar, parentage situation. That,
1: that did get resolved eventually by Peter David. I. Think. They are each like, other, it,
0: but is Dazzler his? Well, been-
1: Da, no, da, no, that's that's explicitly been established. Okay, so okay. Shatterstar and Longshot are Shatterstar. Dazzler and Longshot are Shatterstar's parents, but Peter David added for some reason, and I truly think this was gilding the lily, but uh, that Longshot was based in part on a DNA sample from Shatterstar via time right. travel.
3: So, so I, I remember this because Jordan used to regularly, I mean, shout is really the only way to phrase it, but <laughs> like, shout, like, they can't be each other's dad.
1: Um, well, the old, like with the
3: time
0: paradox, but it's that old song, it, "I am my own grandpa." Right? Yeah,
1: which it was so <laughs> unnecessary and like also complicates things because now it's like, does Longshot have an X gene? Because historically, the assumption was that he doesn't, but once you have him built by rise based on a sample of Shatterstar, who does have an X gene from Dazzler, it becomes. Anyway, let's not <laughs> oh, cannot, star, though, right? right? Like
2: in his entirety.
1: I would, I mean, to go back to Mojo World though, like for a second, I would love to see more of the transition between Ricochet, Rita and Spiral, because that's a big missing chapter. That yeah. Would be I love that. Horrifying to read. I but love I it. I love cool. it so
2: much. <laughs> Every time those characters pop up, I'm just like,
1: <laughs> well, the I, it's it's astounding going back to read Longshot and knowing that Annie Nascetti didn't intend for Spiral and Rita to be the same character because the retcon that E.C. did is so elegant. It
2: is good, and yeah, it explains
1: where Rita went. It yep. explains where Spiral came from. Like it's it's really perfect.
0: Well, and much like Shatterstar is his own father, as Longshot, Annie Nascetti is the template for Ricochet Rita. Well, and she right, created and, Spiral, and so created so Spiral. So, right, so and Annie, Annie becomes Spiral.
1: Well, also <laughs> Spiral creates herself by torturing Ricochet Rita into insanity. I mean, that's the the retcon so it's a it's it, I it's love very it much, so much there's a meta theatrical <laughs> thing to it that i really enjoy yeah. for more on that oh it'll be out already but i for more on that check out the cerebral episode on spiral which probably is out by now i think
0: yeah yeah i, uh, I, I <laughs> well, it might not be
1: actually that might be in july i'm trying to think of like the week because i'm like I saw your several weeks episode. out Super now excited
0: uh before, yeah, we, yeah. before we transition into our review sarah and connor do you guys have any questions you'd like to ask annalise
2: yeah um i wanted to ask because i think about the hox Pox era and every time i talk to somebody who left comics in maybe the 90s or the early 2000s and then i'm like oh you have to start reading x-men again because like all of this happened and destiny where ah, and like I just freak out and get really excited about it, so I'm curious how it felt whenever it was kind of coming down the line. like were you like the whole time just kind of freaking out also <laughs> because I feel like from what I can tell, you were on this uh run of Xbox where all kinds of stuff was happening that I had been waiting for for a long time. So yeah, how was that? How did it feel to be a part of that, I guess? um.
3: It felt really good. I mean, that's like a weird thing to say about like your own job, but it it definitely felt like, so a a short brief anecdote is that like, we finished House of X number one very far in advance because we had a lot of like advanced planning and warning on it. And just in order to make sure that Pepe and RB could draw all of those issues, which came out, it was, it was 12 weeks in a row. Right. So they came out, you know, essentially bi-weekly for each of those artists. Like you need to backlog a ton of art to make sure that actually gets done in time. So we had house of X number one done like super far in advance. And it was definitely one of those books where you're like, okay, send it to this person to read, send it to that person to read, like make sure everybody's kind of on board and knows what's happening here. Cause we're putting a lot of, you know, we're blowing up a lot of stuff to make this happen. And you would get, like, like everybody in proofreading, for example, would, like, read it and then come over and be like, oh, my God, I just read it. This is insane. I can't believe this is all happening. They, they live where? They're doing what? Like, Magneto is floating and talking about being a god? This is amazing. And, like, but across the board, anybody who read it or anybody who sent the PDF to was just like, oh, this is going to be big. Yeah. And so we had this sense like before it was even going to print that like okay this is going to be big and obviously just like having like jonathan come back and everything like people were aware that he was you know not coming back to do like you know weekly comic number two like it was going to be a whole thing but like i think the scale of it and the ambition of it was surprising to people and so just watching it come out like You know, and it was summertime and every Wednesday it just felt like more and more people were like, oh, this is like, they're pulling it off. Like somehow, like, you know, and and we knew that things would happen like when the Moira episode uh, issue dropped um, for House of X number two, like that that was going to blow people's minds. Or when like resurrection happened in House number five or like any of the many, many things that happened in those books, it was just was just mind-blowing and then to also have the like foresight of knowing the books that we had coming after it and how much like time and energy had been put into like setting those up and making the line really strong at the beginning it was super exhilarating and it was the kind of thing where like I think ideally you feel that way about some of your books, right? And then some of your books, I think you're just like less passionate about. Because it's work. Like it's, yeah, it's characters that you're less invested in or, you know, it's a project that was handed off to you midway. But this was one of those like perfect coalescing of like a ton of different pieces and being able to be there from the, the start, you know, feeling very like personally invested in the books as well. Um, it was super cool. and And watching people respond to it you, know, you try not to be too led by the opinions of people on Twitter because like, you know, 8% of comic readers are on Twitter or something. Yeah.
1: And they're all mean. Yeah. As it turns out. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, briefly, don't tell me.
3: The one shining moment of summer 2018. They were all nice. <laughs> yeah. When, when I, so I
1: have a, I have actually two questions and they're Moira related because Moira came up. So, because I am fully obsessed with Moira.exe, the newest iteration of Moira X. <laughs> um, did you work on Inferno at all, Annalise? Or was that all after you left?
3: I worked on a very little bit of the start of okay.
1: Inferno. Okay, so my question's about The first issue, actually. So, so one of the, um, so it's it's like sort of two questions, I guess. But the big one is, well, actually, let's do the 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 more minor one first. Uh, In Inferno one, we get a flashback to the scene from House of X two, the scene from Moira's third life with Moira and Raven and Irene, where they burn her to death. But Mm -hmm. there's an extended sequence in the middle that we didn't see before. And also several lines in it are subtly changed from the version that we got in House of X. And I guess my point of curiosity was like, are the like I assume the changes are intentional because Hickman is a really methodical writer, but like was the expanded scene something that you guys had in House of X or was it already or was it something that he wrote for Inferno? Like was it cut down on purpose so that we could reveal more of it later? Do you can you say anything about the process there? Uh, and also my big question is in that extra page in Inferno, and this could just be an editorial error, but uh, but that's why I'm curious. Irene refers to her as Dr. McTaggart, which is not her name in life three. And I'm like, is that her shouting out life 10 where she'll be Dr. McTaggart? Is it like the anomaly, like fucking with Irene? Or like, did she actually marry Joe McTaggart previously in life three? Or like, I don't, I, I, these are, and these are questions you probably can't answer because it's my insanity that like led me to overanalyze this panel for like four hours. But I was just curious if you had any insight about any
3: of that. Okay, so let me let me try to think and, and remember. I'm 99% sure, no, I'm 100% sure, I'm, I'm willing to go down with the ship that the bits of that scene that are new in Inferno did not exist okay. at the time of writing for
1: House. So House. they're very deliberately like, I'm looking back on this and here's the part that I would add that's missing. Not something that was pre-written, and then we're going to omit this until later. To shock,
3: well, what I'll tell you is, I'm, I I had never read that part before. It's gotcha. very possible that...
1: That he'd um, hidden it in a drawer somewhere, sure. But it like right, wasn't, or, you yeah. know,
3: he knew that there was always going to be a version where we saw it from, you know, a, a different... Uh, you know, we, we saw it again, and we got all of the pieces, and, you know intentionally he had only given you got new, the
1: truth the- rather than what moira shows charles is how i interpreted it basically.
3: exactly um as for the dr mctaggart thing i don't know i didn't so i worked on the book like early enough that i i'm i was around for like its writing and the beginning right. of the art coming in but not for actually the book going to print which okay is- that's fine
1: i'll pester jonathan about that whenever i drag jonathan hickman onto my <laughs> <laughs> We all know he loves doing interviews. Um, I, uh, and, and he I definitely that.
3: won't just lie to you if he feels like Yeah, it. no,
1: exactly. Right. And when I say that with all love, <laughs> I love every interview he does do. Um, but, uh, okay. So my, my other question, and this is related basically is Jordan mentioned recently that, and this has caused a lot of debate, um, as most things Jordan says do, oh good. uh, <laughs> And again, that's said with all love. But this when is why you know, he got on Twitter. I know, and I, it's it's because the internet's crazy. But it's like no, people so are just looking for any clue they can find. Well, it's also just that he says things. He sort of says things offhand that he doesn't mean to be like something people dissect for like weeks on end, but then they do. Um, but in this case, he mentioned that Moira's heel turn in Inferno and X Lives X Deaths, what uh, uh, ten Lives X Deaths rather, was not something that was. Like, that was a later decision, essentially. And people are taking that to mean that Moira wasn't always intended to be, like, a, a more sinister character who was going to eventually break bad, which is not how I interpret it. I interpreted it as I'm saying, like, specifically, she's become, like, a face-off robot was a later decision. But my reading of House of X has always been that Jonathan was sort of quietly setting her up for a twist villain moment. Do you have any insight into that?
3: My only insight into that would be that I think, let me give you the answer that I think Jonathan Hickman would give you. Sure. (laughs) Which, you know, let let me try to to channel him, which is a really normal and comfortable thing for me to be doing, Um, would be like, you know, what, what's the best story, right? The best story is the one where this character who we've seen has gone through more than anybody else for, you know, the mutant dream has, you know, truly lived lifetimes in pursuit of, you know, making a world that a thousand years. Exactly. Um, you know, and we've seen that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't go about it the same way in all of them, and she doesn't, she doesn't always go about it with the rules that you know traditional morality that you or I might expect, you know, I, you know. I think the good story is one in which she, you know, evolves into taking on different roles and isn't just trapped in a node under Krakoa for agree. you know, decade of stories. I think probably what Jordan is referencing is, well, like you, sort of alluded to the idea that you know the specifics of when right Moira might you know make a turn into you know perceiving Krakoa differently and being a different part of you know the, the story Orcas Krakoa whatever yeah. setup was going to probably you know, was very likely to happen at some point, right? That's just dramatic storytelling. But that and then exactly the whole um specific robot alliance piece of it is not from you know it wasn't like page one of house of x eventually moira will be future robot Moira, right no exactly like
1: my my reading of it basically was that he was saying that when jonathan decided he was going to leave the aluing moira book that they'd been floating and some of jonathan's longer term plans for moira got sort of shifted but in the sense that they were condensed a little bit so that her turn happened sooner that's how I, that's what I took away. And so if people are still arguing about that, I don't know if they are because I try not to look at Twitter that much anymore. But if they, I think that's, that's what, because Moira potentially aligning herself with the phalanx is all throughout House of X. It's stressed that like, It's the only way you could survive a reset. There's all these like dangling reasons why Moira might want the phalanx.
0: It's brilliant storytelling. We've been talking about Moira and McTaggart the last few years more than ever before. And it's so- Ever! Yeah, yeah. Uh, So as we're transitioning into the second part, I just want to say out loud, I spend most of my days doing deep trauma work with people and or parenting two incredible small children. But once in a while I get to shut it all down and just nerd out with educated, lovely people. So thank you all for being here with me. This is lovely, having a (laughs) great time. Um, well, thank I'm- you
1: for letting me drag your show into the hour mark already before we get <laughs> to the subject of the episode. It was going no, no. to my... be
2: you or it was going to be me. We have... <laughs> that's true. You run
1: long, too. We do have a, our, the longest episode of my show to date is still the Candy Southern episode with Sarah. <laughs> that episode is
3: amazing, by the way. Thank ah. you.
1: I love it. We went through all 50 odd appearances one by one. And it's my. I, it may be that in the Celine episode which is the second longest episode. I feel like those may be so far like the magnum opus. <laughs> I also I have
3: to say it's just real quick. I know we were just talking about going along. I remembered a notable uh, error in a comic that I worked on, which was the iconic series, you are Deadpool written by L Ewing, mm-hmm. which everyone should read. Yeah, underappreciated in its time. Um, which is essentially you can't use this exact phrase because it's wildly copyrighted and they will come for you legally. But it's basically a choose your own adventure. Right. You know, day they days, sure right? will
1: come for you. I
3: yeah. They in my day are job, so I've seen that litigious.
1: happen. I've been. Yeah, I've been. I've been a first-hand witness to that happening in my day job. Like I've got a whole say list. Choose your own adventure. They have. They have lawyers out the ass and they will get you.
3: Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I, I have a whole list of who are the most litigious people in the world are, and they are high on it. But um
1: Taylor Swift the uh the and the the choose your own adventure people they really are up there
3: the estate of uh um norman rockwell oh yeah do not uh, do a homage don't pass
1: the <laughs> norman rockwell unless it's very clearly a parody as protected under the first amendment i'll tell you that much for free
3: um anyway but just a real quick one is uh the panels in that book are numbered and they you know they all direct to different places so that and so that you can do your sort of choose your own adventure throughout it and there was one uh issue where like 10 minutes before we're supposed to send this to print we were like missing a number and so there just isn't a panel I think it was like 75 or something <laughs> and it was like oh god like, you know like we're not you know we're not going to go back and renumber the rest of the panels in this issue like it's just not happening and we ended up coming up with a solution where I think Deadpool um, is, like, we put panel 75 on, like, the next issue page, I think, maybe. And so it's kind of like a Easter egg. Like, if you can find him, then you've, like, found the missing panel. Oh, um, but it, it was really, really close to just coming out with a whole panel missing.
1: <laughs> if it had, though, like, in a Deadpool comic, that's a pretty funny joke. Like, to right. make the reader look for it. I'd just be really frustrated and confused
0: on like a fourth wall breaking level.
3: That's the, uh, that's the the good ending is the one where you find the panel. Yeah,
0: exactly. So let me tie in our conversation to our issue review and I'll, I'll do this uh, seamlessly. When I was 18, I was a huge X-Men fan when things were going shitty at home. Uh, I, uh, I got a job in a comic book shop and Avengers number one and Thunderbolts number one, both by Kurt Busiek awoke, uh, awakened, a love of Marvel comics for me outside of the X-Men that I've had ever since. Uh, I, I love Kirby Um, when, uh, when we'd go back uh, in in the Thunderbolts, he did flashbacks to like the old Factor 3 days of the X-Men. And that made me want to go read the old X-Men. Like every issue would make me want to go hunt down whatever he was talking about.
1: Because Kurt is the only person on Earth who truly
0: loves 60s X-Men. Well, and then you have to keep in Besides mind... Besides you, I guess. I was going to say, like... you got to keep in mind, I wrote on the handbooks, which is literally the continuity stuff, and I love the 60s. Did you name stuff. Zelda
1: Kurtzberg? Was that you?
0: No, no. That's like the I, 80s handbook. I did not. It? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I think it was in the 2005 book. Uh, but oh, I was did, it? I didn't name her. I did name some characters, though. Okay. Uh, however, um, uh, before I started working on the handbooks because of Kurt Busiek, I started writing uh, entries on the... Marvel Appendix, uh, the website, which I I have probably fifteen hundred different ones, and the entries on Vera Cantor, Zelda Kurtzberg, and Candy Southern were written by me. Back in, the, back in the early 2000s
1: you, you get a shout out in our candy southern episode have you oh looked to that episode uh I have
0: not actually I because I,
1: I I point out that one of the research because I will say like the main resources that I use when I'm researching besides like just rereading myself from my like collection or whatever is like I go to UncannyXMen.net because they are the best in the biz I look at their you know issue checklists and their character spotlights I look at uh, they have some issue summaries for some issues that are harder to find, which is very nice. But the other big one that I look at, um, uh, well, and Travis Starnes is like the ultimate sure, yeah, yeah, that everybody yeah. uses. But um, the other thing that I reference on the show all the time is the Marvel Universe Appendix. I yeah, it's love a great that place. website.
0: I wrote for them a ton during the pandemic again before I did this podcast. But yeah, I... Uh, well, it I makes
1: wrote... sense that they would hire the Marvel on app guys to do actual handbooks yeah, jeff, that is basically jeff christensen, written in the
0: style of the handbook and it's really good jeff christensen who runs that site was the editor of the moral handbooks that i worked on in the in the 2000s but yeah the candy southern uh the candy southern entry was written by little closeted gay mormon chad way back in the day
1: <laughs> if there was ever a character to get a gay Mormon to just dance his way out of his little tabernacle closet, it probably would be Candy Southern, right? That feels correct to me. Although
0: Vera Cantor, I prefer her slightly. I do love Candy, and I do love Zelda. So let's take that. Do you like
1: Vera her. old school or Vera like punk Vera in the X? I love era. Vera
0: all the way through, and I want more Vera.
1: She is a, a Jewish queen. I'd also stand
0: Vera Cantor. I love her. So let's transition. So Marvel Holiday Special 1994. Marvel was putting out books once a year in a once in a while throughout the 90s and 2000s that would celebrate holiday stories. Uh, they're called the holiday special, which is more politically correct, but then you get a ton of Santa Claus and Christmas stuff inside. Rarely Jesus stuff, but mostly Christmas or traditional American Christmas. So in this 1994 special, we're going to overlook stories about Captain America, as Silver Surfer, and Spider-Man, and we're going to focus just on the X-Men stuff. Uh, there, there, are uh, There's not a lot of continuity here, but this is based in in the, in the 90s. In which we see the X Men, or particularly Beast and Iceman, in the '90s continuity, and then we flash back to the '60s stuff. Uh, Connor, will you cover the '90s stuff for us? Open the book for us. Tell us what happens. Sure. Um,
1: so actually, did the same penciler do this whole story?
0: So I, we have two different stories, but yeah, we have we have James Fry on the on the primary pencils, and then we're going to cover. I mean, in the, the whole Metaxo story, mm-hmm. is, yeah, yeah.
1: right? But I mean, the Metaxo story is all because the '60s stuff is done in a very appealingly like faux kirby faux werner roth like we're yeah, yeah. doing this the do moment kind of style it's a nice um, shift yeah which is fun but so the 90s stuff which is done very 90s it's sort of like almost a jay lee riff um is uh, Beast and Iceman in the Danger Room. I was struck reading this by everybody's like, I want Fun Beast back when they, or if they're like a Beast fan and they're upset yeah. about Evil Beast for the last 15 years. And reading this, I was just like, God, I hate Fun Beast.
0: Like, I find this character
1: insufferable, like truly insufferable uh, through this entire story. I'm like, I just want him to shut up, shut, stop, like, shut up.
2: We get it, man. You don't I have much to prefer...
1: Henry Kissinger Beast as a character, I would much rather read him doing war crimes than him, like, referring to the cops in Manhattan as the constabulary like, shut the yeah. fuck up. <laughs> God, <it>. he's unbearable. <laughs>
2: He's unbearable.
3: Um, I thought but anyway, "vibrate <laughs> a pedal extremity" was really probably the worst. Yeah, of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was not great. But so we and also I had to
0: look up the word "inamorata." We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a
1: good. One. I like that. I mean, I like a vocabulary, but it's like, dude, shut the hell up. Like, we get it. You got an 800 on your verbal. So did I. Not yeah. that big a deal. It's like you were an English major. Ooh, cool. Um. Anyway. So we open with uh, them in the danger room. It, 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 it also kind of looks like the gay X-Men fan art that you would see in like the Yahoo groups back in the day. Uh, Beast is kind of upside down. It's a very bulgy ass first kind of pose that I feel like the Beast fans would love this splash page. But the point is it's Christmas and they're not doing anything. They're just futzing around in the danger room because they're- Oh God, being... that is
0: really bulgy. I didn't notice that. Yeah, they're being
1: grumpy. <laughs> Uh, Particularly for, like, 90s comics, when I feel like the men generally have, like, a pretty Kendall crotch situation going on. (laughs) Like, the days of, like, Alan Davis bodies were a little bit over by, like, 94 or whenever this is, right? So, uh, anyway, Storm walks in, and she's like, gosh, guys, it's crazy that you're here in the... She would never say, gosh, guys. She's like, wow, friends. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It's wild to me that you are people here in the danger room instead of enjoying the beautiful weather, she says, which is like, OK, I get it. She's the weather lady. But um, then she says she's going to Stamford to shop, which is very funny to me as someone sitting at this moment in Westchester County, New York, because I would not drive all the way to Stamford to shop. But God love her. Uh, and then. Um, she invites them to come with them and Bobby and Hank are like, no, we're in a bad mood or whatever. And then Trish Tilby. I well, assume, I love this.
0: I love this brief mention of like Gambit and Rogue are off ice skating and Jubilee's attempting to ambush Bishop into a snowball fight. <laughs> yeah. Jubilee's trying to make Bishop have fun. Rogue and Gambit are off doing Rogue and Gambit things. You know, and like, <laughs> oh no,
1: Rami. It's oh, the early yeah. 90s and I'm so sad. Uh, <laughs> and then Trish Tilby, I assume she's not identified by name, but it's a it's mean Trish. looking brunette news anchor in a... <laughs> magenta blazer which Amazing is like the blazer. universal that is like a trish Toby luke um so uh she shows up and she's like oh my god there's a lava man attacking and he's trying to kidnap
3: santa clauses which is like weird we cut to uh um, well it's funny because she puts the same question inflection on it where she's like santa claus is like yeah no she's holiday like, themed you? crime happening in my city like why more likely exactly? than you think trish <laughs>
1: yeah and then uh we cut to midtown uh Matoxo the lava man is in like a, he looks fully like a spawn character or something like it's done in an uber 90s the, the stylistic shifts in this are very very clever uh it's done in this crazy 90s style and he's like i'm gonna destroy everything yada 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 um Beast and uh Hank jump into battle. You know, Kurt Music is a huge 60s X-Men fan because he has Iceman refer to freezing Matoxo's feet as making ice booties, which is something that Iceman says in the 60s a bunch, as I recall. Um and uh anyway, it's not going super well. Um, and then, but they finally do manage to like knock the lava man down and cool him off, and then they're like, wait a minute, we recognize this lava monster. And Hank goes, oh my gosh, yeah, it was Christmas. We were at the Cafe a Gogo, or whatever that hyper attitudinized Java joint was called at the time. And then we're in the 60s flashback sequence.
0: We uh, we opened the issue briefly with this really obnoxious cartoon, which was also the inspiration for my question at the beginning. We got the, uh, oh, I forgot what it was called, the the Cheese Whiz Christmas special starring some awful cartoon mouse. <laughs> Just that, that's what brought me back to the 80s question. We also get very brief references when they're in the danger room of of uh, Iceman being possessed by Emma and Sabretooth being captive and the legacy virus, like these are very 90s dated references. Kurt wanted to make sure we got all that uh, work did. It's, a, it's a like fun we of just thing.
1: met the phalanx dating this to this year.
0: <laughs> uh, Sarah, tell us about the flashback to the sixties.
2: Oh, I'd love to. Uh... <laughs> They are indeed in the coffee-a-go-go. That's what it's called, right? Is it yes, where, where
1: Bobby's 18th birthday was. Zelda is yes, the coffee-a-go-go.
2: As we know, the Candy Southern first appearance, right? she was, was all around also- that
1: 18th birthday. She shows up in her second appearance as Warren's date uh, yes. after she surprises him at the monkey's paw.
2: Well, here we have Zelda and Vera. And... <laughs> I don't know. Hank and Bobby are looking like a couple of nerds. They're sitting uh, in this dining area watching, <laughs> you know, jazz beat, whatever. I don't know what they're trying to do here, but there's like one uh, lady very well oh, it's yeah, Bernard.
0: What? It's Bernard the poet is performing. He's a little six yes. guy. He's a mutant.
2: What? Yes, he is. We we him don't,
1: on for we, no, we don't. <laughs>
3: I'm just I'm trying to figure out what the, what the equivalent would be in like a modern comic of like the X-Men going to coffee a go-go. Like what is, you know, the place for like these kind of square young adults <laughs> would be. Go to be also, Yeah, mutants aren't really seen. Like we don't really play them as like they're trying to hide themselves and be like upstanding citizens. But like, where would you even put them that they would be like, wow we're really out of our element with all these weirdos around us
0: <laughs> there's plenty of like there's like little hipster bars all over portland or something i don't know
1: <laughs> well yeah i was gonna say like you take them to now you would take them to williamsburg um well but except now williamsburg's super gentrified i mean I, like you would take bushwick. them to, I, I lived in bushwick and they priced me out i feel like uh maybe a story at this point new york city is 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 the, the wealthiest playground now. So I don't know where you even go for like alternative culture anymore. Where
2: can you go to look like an uncomfortable nerd like these two? I... Like They closed the
1: pyramid. Like there's, it's,
2: you know, what are you going to do? Oh, dang. There is one very enthusiastic dancer in front of Bernard the Poet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is having a great time. I love I her
1: journey for her. She's it doing, I think like, like she... an- maybe like an interpretive go-go kind of thing, like while he's doing his slam poem. Yeah, and his slam
2: poem, of course, is like, and I spent my day down by the bay (laughs) or like whatever. It's not great, but he's got his... his hand up in the air he's reading from his book he's having a great time so vera well zelda zelda's hanging out and i can i just because
0: just because of bernard i just want to read his poem it's only two lines oh
2: i mean yeah please
0: he says (laughs) go for it it's a satellite moon it's a plagiarized tune that duck on a lake's a decoy there's a sodium glare in the purified air and then there's like a moment from iceman who's like i must be going daffy either i've been here too long (laughs) <laughs> or, or I've been here too long because Bernard's poetry is starting to make sense to me, which was a running gag for Stan and, and then later Roy for the coffee I Go go back in the 60s. I love it. And then Zelda walks up and goes, hey, queers. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> she
1: doesn't. But I, 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 I'm I sorry. When I was reading this, I don't, I'm sorry, Sarah, I'll let you. No, please. I just like when she, she, she walks up to them because she goes, hey, there, Romeos. And it's like absolutely like she's addressing them on their date yeah. but it turns out it's because she's anticipating a double date with Vera but it was just one of those things where I was like Romeo I was like Romeo wow Kurt in you 1994? Called it. yeah yeah
2: <laughs> I can't believe Zelda Zelda's hilarious it has a brief time Bobby and Hank are
1: Zelda's the... a character being back fuck Bernard the poet yeah. I don't know what Zelda's up to let's Get check Bernard in Bernard
2: out of here like Bernard you've caused a ruckus you've got to go Whereas Zelda, hey, stay. Let's have drinks. You know, that's how I feel about it. But I like Zelda the Kurtzberg that...
1: infiltrates Orcus. Is my new Infinity <laughs> Comic pitch.
2: Oh my god! I will. I can't hear this. issue. Oh yeah. <laughs> no
3: unsolicited pitches.
2: <laughs> Bobby and Hank are the two friends. Every person I think has a friend that whenever they're in a terrible mood, they can be like, Hey, what? what's up? I hate everything and everything sucks. Let's just be mad together. And it's not necessarily fun, but it's good that you have that friend. And I think that that's the kind of day that they're going through in both of these. So I appreciate their (laughs) incredibly, incredibly sad sack faces. She's basically like, hey, what's up? We're going to go on a double date. It's going to be a fun night. And they're like, it absolutely won't be. So, you know, we're sad instead. And she's like, got the biggest smile, showing teeth. <laughs> and then finally it's just kind of like, man, all right. So then it goes on and on. And these two continue to be upset. Vera shows up looking incredible. This is like one of the best outfits. Honestly, they're all dressed pretty amazingly. Hank has a, is it pinstripe? I don't know. Is that, yeah, it's pinstripe. So yeah, yeah. and bow ties. So also Vera looks, um, how would I even describe this what do you call the thing that's on her at the neck it's like a kerchief that's kind of like knotted I guess I don't know if you get the chance to check this comic out you'll know what I mean fashion icon and I'll
0: post some images to Twitter when we when we release this I love her
2: she's pretty fun So this guy's name is, oh yeah. So they, (laughs) they stand them up, right? That's the joke. It's like, well, we've gotten stand up or stood up again. And it's like, yeah, this keeps happening for a reason on Bobby's part though. Bobby's (laughs) like, oh, something I'll just go too bad. We'll miss our date. (laughs) Cause I'm into girls and there is, they suit up real quick and get ready to fight Matoxo, the lava man. This is a pretty fun fight scene. I don't know. Matoxo's fun. I have a lot of sympathy for Matoxo. And the last scene that Connor was describing, there's a scene where he's like, People must suffer as I have suffered. And I really enjoyed that. I like that he's smashing stuff. I don't know. I like a I like a good old lava man every now and again. So I think this is pretty fun. And then where am I supposed to stop? <laughs>
0: Just at the end of the 60s flashback.
2: Oh, okay, got you. <laughs> I was like, I hope I'm not just hijacking this entire issue.
1: No, <laughs> no, you're doing good. A
2: go-go oh, a coffee
1: I'm like, a go go. like, we're back now to the 90s.
2: Oh, man, yeah, gotta love the coffee a go go still. So, so, yeah, I don't. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. They're trying My, to explain Christmas to a lava man. <laughs> yeah,
0: so Metaxo's upset because his he's living in a, an underground space. And humans are building something over it, and it's cutting off their airflow. So he's attacking the surface. And Beast and Iceman are trying to show Matoxo why humans are special by showing them Christmas traditions all over the city.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love this because the face that Matoxo is making is the same face that I make whenever somebody invites me to Christmas dinner or something, because I don't (laughs) celebrate. So I'm always just like, oh... That does sound fun for you and your family. <laughs> like I'm just gonna be surrounded by cats that day, and uh, I don't need to be part of this. So his face is very distressed. Which, once again, I, I don't know. I guess I would say that Metaxo is mostly my most relatable character in this in this sequence. Well, I he like goes. Metoxo.
0: He goes. He goes. Elves flying reindeer. Flying reindeer. And what and are you talking about? This is most confusing. <laughs>
2: It is most confusing. I know. But I, I do, know. I do love I feel
3: that the magic story. of Christmas saves the day. And he's like convinced that <laughs> because of Christmas, people are okay. And he can just go into a different part of the underground. And
2: They're like, yo, you just have to take our word for, for it. It's actually really cool. And he's just <laughs> like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. Like, who's coming with me? Like, he's about ready to just do a Christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah i relate to this guy um <laughs> he gets into the holiday spirit really hardcore and then it has to me perhaps one of the very best sequences of this entire issue which is whenever he's going back into the tunnel and he just gives a big wave he's like i'm just getting yes. into my lava tunnel goodbye like, may
1: the felicitations of the season be with you
2: <laughs> goodbye lava man we'll see you <laughs> next season. It's very cute. This is the Frosty the Snowman part. It absolutely
1: is.
2: (laughs) You have a first Christmas gift with the thanks of Metoxo burning, and you know, and then it says there's like geodes. Is that right? That he gave them? And they're like, whoa, let's give this to our girlfriends.
0: And Beast is like, Vera will love it because she loves geology and Zelda will be baffled. And Bobby's like, that's perfect.
2: <laughs> that's perfect. I think that Zelda's probably baffled by you a lot, Babby. Bobby. But <laughs> She's certainly baffled by Babby. how he
1: acts when they're at the car parked. You know what I mean?
0: I got to I gotta show this really quickly. Uh, my friend Seth Martel, who's been on the podcast a couple times, drew Beast and Iceman with Vera and Zelda for me, uh, for my walk. Oh, I love That's my that. favorite. Aww. I love it so that's much. amazing. Uh, So back in the present, Matoxo confesses that he and his family have been celebrating Christmas for all of these years, but now they are older, his kids are, and they don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. (laughs) So he is attacking the surface to get Santa Clauses who are running in every direction and he wants to bring them back. But Beast and Iceman agree to help. So Beast puts on a Santa hat and gets a bag over his shoulder and jumps down into the tunnels to bring gifts as Santa Claus to the family. He later asks Matoxo. Won't your kids be confused? And he's like, no, all surface people look the same to us. It's fine. Iceman convinces them that he's an elf. That's why he's so cold. Uh, uh, <laughs> good Lord, this is so stupid and wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Metaxo's wife is Kratar, and he has two teenage boys named Volkon and Magum or Ma- Magum. Uh, they have a, a stalagmite that's what grows from the floor right stalactite is from the ceiling stalactite
1: so have, with a c is the ceiling stalagmite right. from the ground has a g in it so they have a
0: stalagmite decorated with crystals as their little christmas tree uh, they restore this family's love of christmas and they leave uh it's just adorable and then they return home to watch their little cheese ball special and we end with a little rhyme that says merry x-men to all and to all a good night Uh, this is a adorable story. I'm guessing the three of you, and you can answer this question, have you read this before? Uh, and then like, just what are your general thoughts? Did you have fun reading this today? Annalise, do you want to start for us?
3: Sure. I had not read this before. I did enjoy reading it. I love that they're broke. I think that's one of the things that like, we don't get enough anymore is like truly broke superheroes with like no ability to like manage their own money mm-hmm. or like get more and so like bobby's like forlornly inspecting a coin earlier in the issue and then at the end they're like man these rocks are going to solve all of our financial problems because now we don't have to buy gifts for our girlfriends It's like i don't know i mean i don't well, and don't that's know a running that's a running
0: rocks. gag and that's a running gag in the 60s beast and iceman will skip out on a date zelda and Vera are mad they agree to forgive them but then beast and iceman don't have any money for the date so Vera and zelda have to pay anyway <laughs>
3: right <laughs> like they're like Are these geodes is what's gonna turn it all around it's just yeah. beautiful
0: it's adorable uh, uh, Connor and Sarah same questions said you read this before and did you enjoy it?
1: I had never read this before I had heard of it, but um I had not sought it out uh I mean, I'm not a beast person. I So I, as I said, I did find him very annoying in this, but it has that very specific Kurt Busiek charm that I think any Kurt Busiek story that looks back at the 60s has, uh, or the 70s. Like really anything where he has uh, hindsight on comics history is always really lovely and that. And so I, I really enjoyed the middle section with the flashback. I found the
0: 90s sequences a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh is there anything from you there?
2: I love Matoxo. <laughs> yeah, where's Matoxo?
1: Bring Matoxo back. I so. love
2: broken Christmas, where people try to understand Christmas and then they don't and then they still do it. That happens in Have Yourself a Morlock Little Christmas as well. Mm-hmm. Where the Morlocks are like, it's a Christmas tree, and Jubilee is like, oh God, it's a piece of garbage. <laughs> but like that's also
1: like what Christmas actually is, IRL, right? It's like all these different cultures being like, we it's like they described Christmas to each other but didn't see it. <laughs> and so like every country has its own completely insane tradition that has nothing to do with the biblical holiday at all or you know it's very interesting
2: I have it makes no sense to me I don't understand Christmas really at all just at all so for me Matoxo is the best and I think it's also really funny that his kids don't think he's cool anymore
0: (laughs) that's good that's good that's my
2: that's my cats they don't think I'm cool anymore (laughs)
0: So I must kidnap Santa Claus's to restore their faith. I have a 13 I I have a 13 year old now and we're getting into that space where I'm not as cool as I used to be. I get it
2: Dad's a nerd (laughs)
0: um uh, connor when you were first on gray malkin uh with steve orlando we went to subterranea and we went to this kind of we sure did we went to the upper parts of subterranea here uh in the x-men in the 60s we get that weird issue with the mole and Tyrannus, where connor and i covered with uh, steve orlando we also got the death of professor x at the hands of grotesque who is from a race called the gortakians they also live in subterranea uh, along with the moloids and the tyranoids Uh, And there's others like the Deviants, but the Lava Men is their own little race. Uh, And I won't give a deep, a super deep dive, except to say they first show up in Journey into Mystery number 97. They uh, face the Avengers and Avengers number five. They've been in a bunch of books over the years, but there's only two times they've ever interfaced with the X-Men besides Matoxo. One of them is in X-Factor Annual number three in a story by Louise Simonson, uh, which is during that evolutionary war saga for those that are familiar. And the other time is an X-Force number 81 by John Francis Moore, where there's uh, a Lava Men storyline. So right.
2: anyone who good. wants to look
0: those guys up, you feel free. But this is uh, this is one of the few times we ever see the Lava Men in the X-Men. Now, this issue also ends with a story uh, called The Night Before x by uh, Carl Ballers, who does uh, writing and coloring with art by uh, Sal Beshema and uh, letters by Ken Bruzenek. And it's also nonsense. But Annalise, will you cover that last story for us?
3: Sure thing. Um, it is, as you can probably, <laughs> anyone could probably guess, a X-Men themed The Night Before Christmas uh, retelling. So many of the words are replaced with X-Men related words. The word house is, you know, mansion, etc. Um, and then all, oh, in the art, you're seeing the X-Mansion, the classic one, and how it's all decorated for the holidays and it's quiet, you know, the night before Christmas. There's an incredible panel of all of their different, like, stockings.
1: Yes. Um,
3: But, like, they're, like, boots, I guess. You know, it's unclear what fabric or material any of those could be made out of, full of, like, candy canes, which is very cute. The Jim Lee Um,
1: boot hanging from the the mantle is really funny.
3: (laughs) Right, with care. Uh, Near Cerebro (laughs) with care, actually. And then, you know, Professor X is quietly hover-chairing through the hallways to place everyone's gifts um, when there's a burst of light and a potential threat appears. And so Professor X, I guess, you know, in the logic of this story, his only hope is, you know, to wake up everybody who is asleep and tell them to put on their entire (laughs) X-Men uniform, um, which I have to imagine would take upwards of 10 minutes. There's no way it doesn't. and then they all, you know, race to his aid in the big splash page of everybody looking amazing. And it's um,
0: Archangel and Jean and Storm and Iceman and Rogue and Beast and Bishop and Cyclops and Gambit and Psylocke, which is so 90s, all of
2: them.
3: It's, it's so 90s. And also like, you know, I come from a poetry background actually, and I was trying to read this and I was like, you'd have to like put the craziest emphasis on some of these. Like you would have to do like Iceman in good form um so it's very very silly and they all race out into the snow's fury um to see what's going on and it turns out it's the uh the star jammers um, and Lelandra, and Luandra, of course all the folks and they have all their presence and they're happy to see everybody professor x i will say upon seeing Lelandra, looks a little like alarmed i don't know that i would say like Christmas Delight is the face that he's making. Like, he's making more of a like, oh, cool, you're here. <laughs> like, we didn't definitely talked before. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah.
2: you. I thought we had boundaries. Right. <laughs> I love
1: the idea of like Hepzibah as like a festive Christmas skunk. Like, there's just <laughs> something I find her intrinsically very funny as a character because I love her. Cyclops's stepmom being a hot skunk alien is just really funny to me, like yeah. period. Uh, like she looks like Barbarella but a skunk, and I just have to imagine that like Summer's family meals for the holidays are really funny because well, I mean Hickman wrote her flirting with Rachel, which that's was- why I was
2: gonna say she's I was like, like was I shot uh, with Sarah
1: and I talked about this in that Rachel episode because people we were like, I mean, is we it wrong like- <laughs> to flirt with your time displaced step granddaughter? <laughs>
2: If that's wrong. That I don't want to be right, right? Yeah, that was it. Our conversation was us basically just being like, Rachel, just hit it. Like, and we were like, just
1: go for it, <laughs> honestly. Like, there's enough time travel involved that I think it's fine. They're probably so, made.
3: about that scene is that actually, okay, this is gonna sound like I'm tooting my own horn, and I actually am. It was originally written with her talking normally, Hepsiba talking normally. Oh,
1: and you fixed it, and
3: I was the one who called. Like, hey, doesn't have some a talk? Doesn't have some a talk weird? Yeah, yeah not- <laughs> but it's not in like a specific way. Like you know, like there are sort of some rules around like you know, the cypher warlock thing, et cetera. Sure. Where it's like, okay, it's you know, pronouns and this and that. But like hers is just kind of like backwards sideways weird sexy alien lady she
1: talk. she yeah. talks the way this sort of similarly to how cat's eye does where yep. it's just like it's sort of how chris claremont writes an animal person i think is just right. like the general is the way that cat's eye is like hello for a friend cat's eye say yes and you're like what <laughs> was that exactly sharon it's, it's uh, mostly just Buzz, out of kind order of like that also <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, so
0: I just want to read this really quickly, the little poem here. It'll, it'll take like 60 seconds. I think it's actually really cute. Uh, I think Carl Bollers does a really fun job adapting this, and then we'll uh, we'll comment and wrap up. So this last tale it was Twas the, well, night. the art's it's, gorgeous. It's
1: really it fun. Is.
2: South it is Busema, right? It's a
0: Busema piece,
1: and it's just so cute. Beautiful. I'd never uh, seen this, and I was and I love Busema. It takes me right back to my one flirtation with Spider-Man, which was Maximum Carnage as a little oh, sure. child.
0: So, t'was the night before Xmas and all through the mansion, not a mutant was stirring, no Snicks and no Bamphen. The stockings were hung near Cerebro with care, tacked up by the X-Men, full of goodies to share. The East and West wings lay all quiet and still, placing his gifts took Logan-like skill. The blizzard outdoors had not ceased its fall, a chillier Eve Professor X couldn't recall. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, he near sprang from his chair to see what was the matter. He scanned all around with his great powers of mind, searched far and wide, out nothing to find. Then, uh, then strands like light bathed the snowflakes in crimson and gold, and for a moment his heart, like the weather, grew cold. A telepathic message sent through the hall, summoned the uncanny X-Men with the most urgent call. With psionic powers and energy blasts against such an array no opponent could last, more rapid than missiles, his charges, they came. And as they rushed to his side, he knew why they were named. Uh, Cyclops and Gambit and Psylocke came through, then Beast and Rogue to round out Team Blue. Jean Grey, Archangel, Iceman in good form. The roll call is he ended with Bishop and Storm. Into the snow's fury, the X-Men did fly. Guaranteed no success, but willing to try. The Phalanx, Apocalypse, the Brotherhood, or had Magneto returned to nope. wipe out... Hu- oh, excuse is, me, the Brotherhood. No, this riot.
1: the kerning here is terrible. I did the same thing when I was reading it.
0: The phalanx, a- apocalypse, the brotherhood, strife, or had Magneto returned to wipe out human life? T'was none of those foes, to their happy surprise, as a decloaking device revealed a ship in the skies. This revelation barred unwelcome rifts, for they were alien friends come bearing gifts. And thus all were relieved that it wasn't a fight. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Which is so campy, but so fucking cute at the same time. I oh, it's love so it. cute. My also
3: is like a gift. There are so many great little interactions happening on this last page. Yes, yes. yeah, and I love
0: post some images.
1: I love that throughout this story, Psylocke's hair is black rather than purple. Because as a Betsy Braddock fan, I love being able to look back at any Psylocke story and pretend that the body swap never happened. So for me, it's just like, wow, Conan's visiting. For Christmas. Yeah. I love that for them. Betsy must be busy <laughs> this week.
0: So this episode will come out June 30th. We'll just call this a Christmas in July episode. Just sure. I mean the timing just happened just so. Uh what an absolute joy and pleasure it has been to gather with you guys this afternoon. I'm having so much fun. I've smiled for an hour and a half and I'm having uh just a lovely uh, a lovely time. So thank you so much for being here. As we're wrapping up, if you can tell everybody where they might find you online and anything we have to look forward to coming up in your individual spaces you can find graymalkin lane on instagram under that name or on twitter under graymalkin pp like podcast help share the word leave us a review we're uh, we're trying to build our audience and we're having such a good time we're hoping you're having fun with us our next episode after this one will cover x-men number 48 which is uh Jean's brief modeling career <laughs> yes and uh, we have the the guest uh, Will Robson joining us, the wonderful uh, artist. So uh, let, let's hear from Connor and then Sarah and then finally Annalise.
1: I uh, just sort of motored my way through all, most of this at the beginning, but uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Twitter, Dream of Organon, Instagram, Connor Goldsmith or Cerebrocast to find Cerebro at both of those sites. Uh, you can find more about the podcast at Cerebrocast.com. The upcoming episodes that have been announced that you, at this point, some of them will be out. I don't remember how many will be out by June 30th, but uh, coming up are Cecilia Reyes, Abigail Brand, Wolf Spain, Spiral, Pyro, and Magma, um, but much, much more to come. I am scheduling season three is up through episode 100, so I'm excited about that um we've gotten into the 80s which is crazy and uh the the support means the world i also i forgot to mention because we're recording before it comes out so i haven't said anything publicly uh, publicly but by the time it's out uh by the time this episode is out it will have come out my first marvel credit uh is in the trade paperback of the marvel's voices pride anthology with the other collections i they commissioned me to write an essay about my childhood reading Claremont and uh, about Mystique and Destiny. And it was a real honor to do that. So thank you to Anjali Grichet for reaching out to me about that. uh, And I hope that people liked it if they've read The Trade. If not, pick up The Trade. It's available now. It has a lot of great comics in it. Uh, And um, that's it-ish in terms of what's coming up for me. I have uh, have other stuff coming down the pipe, but I don't think anything that I can announce.
0: Connor, it's been a long time, but I remember that first feeling of uh, seeing my name in a Marvel book and getting the check check in the mail with Spider-Man on it. It's a big fucking deal. It's fun. My friend, that's huge.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's a good feeling.
0: Uh, Sarah, do you want to go next?
2: I do. Uh, I am one of the hosts of the Bitches on Comics podcast. We do a lot of interviews with people. Connor was on it at a certain point.
1: It was so much fun.
2: We want to have you back on we'll talk about this after yeah no
1: hit me up i'm in whenever (laughs)
2: yeah you got to we've been talking about it for a long time so we'll make that happen soon but there is a whole other episode to listen to also if you just really love listening to connor and i talk there are the aforementioned cerebro there are like
1: eight episodes Uh, rather. i was gonna say like eight nine hours of us just talking on cerebro (laughs) so like yeah
2: Yeah, yeah. You will find plenty to listen to. And uh, I also, on top of that, do the Decoded Pride Anthology, which is speculative fiction. We have 30 queer creators. A story drops every single day of June. It's independent. We really appreciate people supporting us because that's how, you know, independent queer stuff happens, basically. And other than that, I do have a bunch of fiction. I'm a horror writer as well, but uh, nothing that's coming up that I can announce. But I've been in a ton of anthologies, so good luck (laughs) because they're all over the place. So and in two more, good
0: though. You should read her. You should read Sarah's fiction if you haven't already. And in two more episodes after this one, Sarah's going to be coming back for a trial. We're doing the trial of Warren Worthington III. It's going to be lovely. So I'm excited (laughs) to have Sarah back for that. Uh, and then let's turn it over to uh,
3: Annalise. Sure, um, I I don't have much to plug other than Marvel Comics. Uh, find them everywhere. Find comics are sold, including your local comic shop or Marvel Unlimited. Um, I you know. And happy every time anybody reads a comic anywhere, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But whether I am part of making it or not, I appreciate every single one of our, our readers. So,
0: uh, Where can people find you online, Annalise?
3: Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Annalise Biswa, all one word.
0: This has been such a lovely afternoon. Thank you all for the gift of your time and talents. Uh, Again, I'm going to be smiling for hours after this. Uh, This was uh, an absolute blast. Uh, Thank you, everybody. And we will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Greymalkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Greymalkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Graymalkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Greymalkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus
3: content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Greymalkin Lane.